0: Most people that participate in GBPC wouldn't even think of themselves as a scientist. They're, they're just out They're They're a birder. They're watching the birds, whether it's in their own backyard or, or they're going out traveling somewhere to watch the birds. Uh, but that's really cool. Your participation is it's kind of like you're being a scientist in, in many respects.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nature Centered a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalists John Shaust and Brian Cunningham.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm John Shaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode 82, where we're going to talk about counting the birds and does it make a difference? GBBC is coming up. Does it make a difference for the birds? Does it make a difference for you? What do you think, Brian?
0: Yes, John, I love that. And knowing, wow, the Great Backyard Bird Count, GBBC, man, what's it do for the birds and people? I think that people are gonna really enjoy hearing some new things that we bring in on this. And we're doing that with a special guest, an expert on the front lines, Becca radomsky bish from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. She's the project leader for the Great Backyard Bird Count. So, we're going to have a lot of fun today.
2: Yeah, it's fun to have Becca back again. I'm one of our favorite guests. So, everybody, stick around for the fun. All right, here we go. Becca, welcome back. So glad to have you.
1: Thanks for welcoming me back, John and Brian. It's always fun to talk with both of you.
2: And you are the queen of the GBBC, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I don't know where I left my, my little tiara today, but yes, um, I do run the Lab of Ornithology. There's a, we also have a Audubon and Birds Canada involved, and they have some amazing folks that help out on their end mm-hmm, as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we've actually said Great Backyard Bird Count. I think we've said GBBC a number of times, but for anybody that's not familiar, like, you know, just top of the mind for us, but it's actually called the Great Backyard Bird Count. Long history at this point, and a lot of cool things going on. What do you, Absolutely, what, what, yeah.
1: Not to be confused with the um, Great British Bake Off, right? That's always <laughs> right. <laughs> I get that a lot. Uh, yes, no, we don't, we don't cook on on this particular event. Um, but yes, the the Great Backyard Bird Count or GBBC, we we are in our 27th year, which is wow. mind boggling to me. Yeah. And um, always four days in February where we encourage people, um, backyard or beyond, to to watch, observe, and tell us what kind of birds they're seeing in and around their homes and communities. It's a fun event. This year, it's February 16th through the 19th. So it's always over President's Day weekend in the United States and Family Weekend in uh, Canada.
0: Ooh, I love that it's over Family Weekend. That's really cool. I didn't know that.
2: So great back here, Bird Count. I've been around for quite a bit of it, not all 27 years, but quite a bit of it. And uh, I, it's, it's changed. It's so much of the, the you know, data collection has expanded and the—you the, know, become international. It's, it's really become a huge, huge thing.
1: Yeah, it really has. We were talking before we started here about technology, and a lot of those changes have come with shifts and and adaptions in the technology we're using. But it is massive. We've more than doubled our participation since I've been involved in it. We were up to about a half a million people last year around the world, more than 200 countries. Um, It's really inspiring to see how birds seem to be this sort of uniting force um, amongst many people around the world. They're fun, they're inspiring. you can see them everywhere, um, and we're we're seeing that growth and interest in our project as well.
2: Yeah, and the number of birds that are included in this—I think what about eleven, just under eleven thousand birds that are known worldwide, and and the GBBC had almost seventy-five hundred identified in four days. That's incredible. That is unbelievable. Very Each year, I think we're
1: not going to do that. Each year, I think we're not going to break it,
2: Yeah. and yeah. we often do. Well, it appears that you're getting really good buy-in from a lot of other countries that have really not participated very much in the past that are starting to jump on board and, and uh, may seeing things like Kenya and Mozambique and the Philippines and even European, France, and Germany, a lot of other countries that are picking up their participation rates and, and the number of birds they're seeing, so that's very, very
0: cool. Well, it's interesting, too. India. India has been a a huge player for Great Backyard Bird Count and actually other citizen science projects. So absolutely amazing to see this diversity and how it started 27 years ago. Incidentally, that's how long I have worked for the Wild Birds Unlimited Franchise Office. (laughs) 27 years. Um, So I don't know if I participated. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) You were there at day one. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, I don't remember if I participated in the first one or maybe the second one, but uh, I have participated for quite some time. So that's that's really cool to think that I've, I've helped contribute to that. Uh, but I never think about that. I usually just think, man, it's just been fun. It's something to look forward to and it's fun to do. It's fun to watch birds, count the birds, send in the data. So that in itself has been pretty interesting over the years. And go back to the days that it was paper-based as opposed to computer-based. There you go.
2: <laughs> That's a huge change. Yeah. As so you can imagine,
1: the... each change has come with its struggle. Um, <laughs> Dr- but then once me. we once we get through the struggle, <laughs> right. we're like, "This is great. Yeah, it's so yeah. much easier." So yeah, yeah. E- each each year that there's been major paper to computer, computer to um, like it was an specific entry form then i went to ebird that was a big Mm -hmm. transition now we have merlin so yeah there's always some um some growing pains but they're usually result in some greater audience enthusiasm which is exciting
2: so we've got this really long-term study that's been going on lots and lots of participation lots of advancements in the in the data collection and that type of thing what do we learn i mean does it does it Does this really make a difference for the birds in some way, shape, or form? How how does all of this data turn
1: into action? Absolutely. So each year um, we we have hundreds of publications that come out about uh, the data. And the audience is probably aware, but all of the data from GBBC goes into eBird and Merlin. Um, Merlin are considered incidental sightings, but they're saved with your eBird data as well. So it all kind of ends up in the same database. Um, We had about 155 publications in 2023. And when you look at sort of the the abstracts and the the titles of those different research projects that are from around the world, anything you can imagine related to birds Mm -hmm, is in there, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So phenology, biology, um, range changes, right? Um, And we also see a lot of other topics that are sometimes surprising, like um, climate change, right? So being able to sort of identify birds and the changes with weather and climate changes too, and sort of making those connections. Fire, issues around fire and regeneration, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. issues around people and engagement. So it's really fascinating to see how these massive data sets really have this ability to touch research and science in lots of different ways. Um, and it's growing. Each Just like these projects are growing, each year more and more scientists are turning to these large data sets that are very hard to replicate. You can't get this kind of global data that's done 365 days a year um, to be able to see those big changes in status and trends. So I would say absolutely. And we often use this data then to make conservation choices, right? So if Mm -hmm. we're able to identify where birds are or where they aren't, um, where there's pressures, then we can make globally more strategic choices around how we're protecting birds and knowing how birds are moving throughout the environment at different times of the year and what we can do proactively to support those birds.
0: Wow. And all of that, because I went out one day during GBBC, and I submitted what I saw. I had the fun of watching the birds, wrote it down, turned it in. Wow, that is there is so much there. That's uh, it's excellent to hear. And If everyone just did a little bit, the amount of benefits that come out of that for the birds, for conservation, uh, that's just phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. Every, every little bit matters.
0: And then, and, and just on a personal level, there's some
1: really
2: fun things that are in all that data set. And I, I was reading through last year's uh, statistics, and it was talking about that 30,000 snow geese were seen right here in Indiana. And it's funny because I came across that same notation in a count GBBC probably 15 years ago and had no idea that we had that kind of a congregation of snow geese in Indiana. And so I literally have a number of times, including just this last week, go to Western Indiana, where we have this gigantic, it's old reclaimed uh, coal mining land, strip mine land. And yeah, and it's right on the Illinois border. And one of the coolest cacophonies of nature I've ever heard is to have 10,000 plus snow geese come up and fly right over the top of you. It's just, it is phenomenal. Again, wouldn't even known that was a possibility here in the state if it wasn't for data from the GBBC, which is way cool.
0: Well, and let's be real. I mean, come on, John. You and I both travel around the state to go bird watching. Yeah. And <laughs> there are still uh, some could say, oh, Indiana's so small, or some could say it's really big. But to know, wow, there are things with birds happening in, in my own area that I wasn't aware of, and especially in that kind of scale. And that's just really cool. Yeah,
1: it is really cool. I love that, that you, you can do that with the data from this particular project, you can look at your own yard, you yeah. could look at your neighborhood, you could look at your state, you could, you know, so depending yeah. on what scale, you can look at the world. Um, and you can really take a look at it from whatever perspective you're most interested in engaging with the data. It's really fun.
2: So we we're, we're getting a good idea, uh, you know, what what good it does for the birds and especially a lot of the research that truly benefits the birds in so many different ways and and obviously, you know, my little story about the snow geese it benefits birders to be able to sometimes pinpoint some cool things. But what what other for participants besides just the fun of doing this? What are some of the benefits that we're seeing and that have been documented recently in regards to being a citizen scientist, as somebody who helps participate in the different types of research that's going on that utilizes just everyday people to provide data?
1: Yeah, Brian and I were talking about this before we started the show at, at how citizen science has really become a thing all around the world. Um, and that's part of it, right, is 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 we've been doing citizen science now for A couple of decades but it's growing so we have more people doing it and that has sparked researchers interest in sort of asking the question so we have all these people engaging in this what we know that it has some impact on birds right we've we've talked about that that's very well documented but what about the humans and so that's sort of been really popular in the last four or five years doing more and more research about the impacts of this engagement on humans and the research is pretty clear that um, citizen science projects generally help people feel connected um, and often that connection is related to nature in some way or their community or each other and there's real strong evidence that that is documenting that sort of contact and connection as being really important to humans and helping with mental health issues helping with depression Um, we saw this a lot during covid right there's been some specific research that came came out of that period where we were really constrained and isolated but that if you were engaging in something that was connecting you say to the birds out your window maybe your neighbor next door who you were able to mask and be around um, (laughs) that there was actually some real positive benefits of surviving those sort of stressful times Um, so this is growing growing in, in terms of research people are really looking at how do we Um, support mental health by using this sort of um, tried and true research data collection where people can feel empowered to go out and actually participate as a scientist and then have these sort of trickle personal mental health and wellness benefits that we see um, coming online with that work.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that uh, people are participating as a scientist. And I I think most of our Listeners or most people that participate in GBPC wouldn't even think of themselves as a scientist. They they're just out. They're they're a birder. They're watching the birds, whether it's in their own backyard or or they're going out traveling somewhere to watch the birds. Uh, but that's really cool. Your participation is it's kind of like you're being a scientist in in many respects. We've talked about in the past how uh, anyone wanting to do a research project and to do any kind of scale with all these birds. Oh my goodness. There's there's no way you could have that much time in the field to see that many kinds of observations, to have a valid mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. project on any kind of scale like we're talking. It, it, but then you said, "Wow!" So all these citizen scientists are doing it, and then the researchers are being able to use that data set. Uh, but the benefit of just me as, as an individual going out, I love hearing the things you're talking about and knowing. Just watching the birds, yeah, de- decreasing anxiety, lo- lowering the stress levels. And they talk there, um, different studies about the cortisol levels, the, the, <laughs> the stress hormones that then it, it helps bring down that anxiety and the stress. I, I like to reduce negative thinking patterns. Um, just helps with positive mental attitudes. Uh, you shared a, a few research studies with us. And it was really fascinating to dig into some of those and see how just participating in citizen science helps with the health and wellness aspect for people and, and to see actual research things we've always said. Oh, yeah, we knew that. Right. Just right? we get the benefits of it. We've been watching birds for years and and helping out entering data. And but now there's there are studies Um one of those studies. And we'll definitely share these studies in our show notes so people can go look at them. It's not just us saying, oh, birding is great. You want to go watch birds and you want to participate. Uh, there's there's solid data behind all this. So I really like the one about uh, nature connectedness. And yeah, is that something you can speak a little bit to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have lots of antidotal um, stories of how mm-hmm. people have expressed connectedness. One of my favorites was actually last year, and I had a um, a woman reach out who had engaged her community in Los Angeles, um, and they were going out and birding in the city. That's the other piece of this that's always really inspiring to me. You do not have to have a. You don't have to be in a park. You don't have to be in a you know, a national or state park, you don't have to be in your backyard. You could just go for a walk around Mm -hmm. your city in Los Angeles and see birds and and tell us about them. But she was talking about how um, several of the people that she engaged in this, she had never, they had never birded before. You know, they they didn't even know that that was something that people liked or or would tell scientists about. Um, And so it was really transformative for her audience. So I have story after story of people that have, shared with me this sort of aha kind of experience that happened by engaging people in GBBC and in watching birds and then that sort of just trickles out right for every person that sort of had that experience their minds are sort of shifted and and yeah they are they're they're scientists they're participating um their observations matter and are valued um and they had fun and they felt good afterwards and their stress Came yeah. down even with all the that traffic, <laughs> so yeah. so there's just innumerable sort of stories that I could share.
0: I think one of the the cool parts of what you just said was they had fun. I mean, how often do people think, "Oh, I'm going to go birding. This is going to be fun." I mean, I, don't, I don't know if we really connect those two together, but it really, especially when with your other people, you just you're having fun. And then- but, but, you know, during, during COVID, and, and again,
2: I it's all anecdotal. And Becca, just like you, I've got tons of stories from different people who are in my little circle of the world who really made it through COVID in pretty good shape because of their connection to nature, their connection to watching birds. I, I know my wife and I were empty nesters. You know, we were stuck at home. You would think that that would get a little stressful and terrible. No way. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have a house that sits kind of in the woods. So I've got really good bird life around me pretty much all the time. And during migration was, you know, you get a lot of great migrants coming through my area. That year was phenomenal. I mean, we just, we had more fun sitting out in our backyard, watching birds and and, and seeing what was coming and going and maybe taking a trip over to the park and walking around the park and doing things like that. And, and I, I i would say as a group of, you know, my birder friends, that was the story. I heard it over and over again. So it's, it's, it's really cool to have some data, some research that is actually quantifying this and, and putting a little bit of a uh, structure to, to what is actually going on. But man, I, I could have told you a long time ago if people with a connection to birds and birding, they deal with stress a lot better than I think a lot of other people do.
0: Yeah, John, I, I love that you bring that up because one of the studies that Becca shared with us was about <clears throat> was about nature and well-being and during the pandemic, and the the crux of what they found was nearby nature, just like you talked about your own backyard or the local park, that nearby nature, and just going and sitting in it, listening to it smelling seeing hearing feeling and everything that that did for health and well-being it's right it's right there it's at our fingertips it's and all you have to do is step into it it's as easy as that and start to get those those health and wellness benefits from it and it's it's free it's right there I, I love that
2: yeah exactly any any any, Where any place you can find the connection if you want to, you really can. So Becco, GBBC, somebody listening to us today, maybe never participated in GBBC. What exactly is it? How do they participate? What do they need to do?
1: Sure. absolutely what Brian just said is is spot on. It's an invitation to step into the nature. Um, it's it, maybe in your backyard, maybe in your community, maybe the local school or library is putting on event that you want to join. Um, and all we ask is that over those 4 days, it runs a Friday through a Monday you spend at least one chunk of 15 minutes watching, listening to the birds in and around you and we make this relatively easy. Um, some people, a lot of people love our Merlin sound ID tool. It's um, <laughs> it's a very easy app. I'm sure you both used it where you can literally <laughs> record. <laughs>
0: just love this it. Last
1: weekend. Hands are going up.
0: So, so cool. So Regular cool. basis. Oh yeah.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. And it so is. literally you can just record the birds and then, say yes that is the bird that I heard and that counts as participation in the GBBC so we make it super easy you can also do maybe more of the involved sort of I'm going to go out I'm going to hike this nature trail I'm going to look at every bird and record how many and and so forth so it's really one of those projects that anybody no matter where you are if you're just entering into the world of sort of connecting to nature and stepping into it or you're more advanced that you can contribute and participate Um, you can count every day. you can count several times a day for 15 minutes. Um, and using Merlin, you don't even actually have to count. You're just sort of saying, I saw this species of bird or heard this species of bird on this day. So um, again, it's really, it's one of those projects that I love because the goal is to sort of spark that connection to the natural world, right? The data is wonderful, and that is an important part of it. But really, this is about getting people out, connected, watching, um, alone or with friends or with their community. Um, and at the same time, we're accomplishing this massive uh, data set that we can then turn around and use to, to help birds.
2: So real quick, because I don't know that we've actually explained eBird. And Merlin as of yet. And so somebody that's never heard of those, just a real quick, what what do they do? How do they do it? What's it all about with those two things?
1: Good way to bring me back to that. I (laughs) sometimes take that for granted. Um, (laughs) The two tools that we use during GBBC, uh, Merlin is a, a bird ID application used on a phone. You can download it for free. Uh, It's a tool that was created and managed by the Lab of Ornithology and eBird, another tool. You can either use it on a computer or a smartphone, Um, again free to download and access. Um, And those are, Merlin's sort of main goal is to help you identify what birds are in your area. Um, So it's really a great tool a lot for beginning birders or people that maybe aren't too sure of the species. Um, eBird is a tool that, and they often, they work together. So a lot of people, myself included, maybe you guys as well, I have them sort of synced so that Sometimes I'll come across a new bird or a recording that I don't know, a sound I don't know, and so I use them in tandem with each other. Um, but you can use them isolated too. And so eBird is where you're going to count and list birds. So if you happen to have feeders, those of I know a lot of your listeners are feeder watch feed, watch their feeders. Um, and so if you get regularly a family of chickadees you can tell us you have four chickadees that are regularly visiting or maybe you have a flock of gold american goldfinch and you want to tell us exactly numbers so ebird would be the tool if you actually want to count the amount of birds that you're seeing that weekend and report them to us
0: yeah those are great explanations uh, and wonderful absolutely wonderful tools john and i will attest to that we use both of them all the time like i said i was in uh, north carolina recently Uh, taking a little time and stepped outside and and just running Merlin, listening to sounds. Um, And some of those, sometimes I was just enjoying the birds and other times I was recording them in eBird. Um, So great tools, but you have another great tool that GBBC has now that you have a new uh, community map, right? Will you tell us about
1: that? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of playing into what John and Brian were alluding to earlier that... um... Birding can really be a fun thing to do with other people. It's another way to connect, not just with birds, but with other people who might be really interested in birds. So we started a a new map this year where people can enter events, um, because we know that schools, libraries, Audubon centers, WBU stores, Mm -hmm. um, have these events, right, that they're inviting people to to come and and bird with other people, which can be a lot of fun. You learn different things. um, You connect to people who have similar interests. So we thought, wouldn't it be fun for people to be able to look and see if there's an event in their area in one sort of place? So we created a map, and those of your listeners who maybe would like to bird with other people can go to this map and look it up. And listeners who maybe are hosting an event can add their event to this map and use it as a way to sort of spread the word. So this is a fun way. One of the things that's really unique about GBBC compared to some of the other bird counts is that it really is um, an opportunity to, to connect to people as much as birds, um, because these events are accepted as contributions to the to the larger data set. So it's really inspiring to see how many large community groups and you were talking about bird count um, or bird bird count India, one of the big success stories, which I'm not going to lie, I took this map out of their page playbook. Um, They engage schools on a massive scale all across India, and they compete. Schools are competing for the number (laughs) of entries and the number of birds. So we like to do it fun, but you can also add that edge of like, hey, look at how many schools in my city or or my, how many libraries in my state, so <laughs> forth, that are actually participating. It can be really fun.
2: Oh, come on. I've never known birds
0: to be competitive. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Competition can be fun, right? There we're ba- we're back go. to fun. Birds <laughs> and fun. <laughs>
2: Well, any other words of wisdom or things that our listeners should know about before heading out to GBBC this month?
1: I would. Just put the plug in, since many of your listeners maybe are in areas where the weather could go lots of different directions in February. <laughs> is uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> we we, we want to know whether there's a sleet storm or a you know several feet coming down or bright and sunny and warm. It doesn't matter the weather. Um, you may change your birding location based on the weather. You might be hunkered in t- in front of your feeder in a massive storm if if that's what's happening in your area. But I just want to encourage listeners to not. Let the weather get them down. Go out, see what you see. And that's actually really interesting to us because much of the weather data is actually overlaid with the bird data. And we can sometimes see changes that are happening because of different sort of weather patterns that are going on in different places. It's really fascinating to look at.
0: That is really cool. I love that you're bringing all that data together. And it's, it's as easy as just looking out your window, but it's so much more fun if you step outside and enjoy that. And if you enjoy it with other people, It just maximizes the fun and can bring in some competition, right? (laughs) All
2: right. So February 16th through the 19th, that's the target date for Great Backyard Bird Count this year. So hope everybody takes a look at it and helps out with some citizen science data.
0: Oh, yeah. And we're going to have in the show notes the website for the Great Backyard Bird Count, which is birdcount.org. It's also going to be on the Wild Birds Unlimited website. So it's going to be easy to find. And we have other links uh, from today's episode. And look at some of the, if you want to dig into some of those research articles that we were mentioning, uh, but hope that everyone go have fun with the Great Backyard Bird Count. Becca radomski Bish project leader for the Great Backyard Bird Count. Love that you have come and joined us to help bring, just bring the fun and, and bring the understanding that, yeah, birds are helped by this and that people, we, we're we helped by it from the fun and the health and the well-being. So really excellent information and resources. So everyone, thanks for listening in. And yeah, rate and review us, especially if you, you really like this episode. We love to hear what you have to say.
2: Absolutely. And Becca, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're really busy this time of year. got lots going on, but I appreciate you taking the time to join us. And and again, you're always one of our favorite guests to have on our show.
1: Aw, thank you, John. It is always delightful to talk and laugh with the both of you. It's a (laughs) lot of fun to be here. Thank you so much.
2: Absolutely. So, all right, everybody, thank you for joining us. And uh, please join us the next time. When we're going to be talking about keeping birds safe in your backyard. So until that time, as always, Brian and I are going to keep letting nature be our guide. So please take care, be safe, and keep those feeders clean.
1: Thanks for joining us everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, get show notes, or find the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com forward slash podcast. We'd really appreciate you telling your friends about Nature Centered, but more than that, we hope you find a moment to relax, enjoy the birds, and stay nature-centered.